Wonderful, even though it's kind of chilly outside here in Houston, Texas. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it inspires you. It gives you that hunger, that grit. You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that damn cold. Exactly. But today's a very good episode because we have a special guest in the studio right now. This brother here is one half of the dynamic duo that's known around Houston as Dirty and Nasty. Yeah, this is right. this is one half. His name is Dirty. <laughs> and what's crazy is. Years before I ever met him, this was way back, um, this was way back when I first started rapping, my first project, and I was going around trying to figure out, how do I become a rapper? And I'm like, and I kept hearing their name come up, oh, you need to talk to Dirty Nest. And I'm like, who are these people? And then I actually met a brother working at the coffee shop, and he was like, hey, I'm going to a show, you want to come with me? And then, sure enough, I went to the show. And I met Dirty and Nasty, walked up on them, seen they set. It was amazing. And I was like, hey, how do y'all do this? How do y'all become rappers? And then they gave me these list of things, and I've been doing everything on the list ever since. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's actually how we even got to Baron Studios that we in oh, right now really? recording this. Oh, okay. They told me to come to Baron. They don't even know that. <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't know that, man. But so. Yeah. We love Baron Studios. Um, but yo, but first off, thank y'all so much for allowing us to be on here. I'm repping for the group right now. Shout out to Nasty Neek, uh, OG Nasty Neek, a.k.a. Southwest Neek. He is uh, getting off the J-O-B-B right now. <laughs> but uh, he does send his uh, well wishes. And I'm pretty sure when we post the uh, uh, the, 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 the link, the podcast link, uh, he'll definitely get a chance to check it out. So. Absolutely, we happy to have you. Um, I just want to get right into it. Word. I please tell the people what your business is. What what are your your different facets? Because you're multi talented, like most artists are. Man, so please give us <laughs> just a quick introduction of gotcha. who you are. So basically. Um, as far as the music, you know, the music is the business. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, we are the brand. So it is really using, uh, selling music, okay? Mm -hmm. So actually selling the, the, the creative product, coming to the studio, selling that creative product. But more importantly, it's what you do when you're not on the stage. So it's being able to have merchandise, okay. being able to sell T-shirts, being able to sell stickers, being able to sell... Um, caps, whatever you can create and and monetize those things and and get them out to the people, whether it's through online, digitally, or hand-to-hand -hand at shows. Um, sometimes we've been fortunate to do pop-up shops. Like, we'll literally pull up to a space. Like, we went to Warehouse Live a couple years ago and pop trunk. You know, if you say pop trunk, okay. we pop trunk and we just sat out there with a table with t-shirts and crew necks and, and people came by. They were inquisitive. Some people bought stuff. Some people was like, hey, I'll catch y'all on the next one. And so that's how you do it. Mm. So uh, you've been doing this for a minute. Yes, yes. <laughs> What's, what, what was the first like introduction to this? So uh, Tomnik and I—that's that's his real name. My my real name is David. So if you could call me David, that's cool. Dirty, I you know I answer either or. I like dirty, not just like. <laughs> <laughs> so we met. We actually met in college. Uh, we attended a small liberal arts college here in Houston called University of St. Thomas. Okay. And um, we were both attending school at the same time. I was pursuing a. a 
theater degree. Uh, Tom Nick was pursuing a business degree. And we met off of a mutual love of fashion. And we met off a mutual love of um, music. Uh, he was actually in a music group prior to the group that we started together. Okay. And they were uh, doing their thing. And I, I, I was trying to figure out what my musical um how you say my musical thing I, you know what genre I was going to do because at the time I was playing acoustic soul I was teaching myself how to play guitar playing guitar and I told Nancy I was like one day I was like yo um, I want to do some music with you you know like a like a, a side project if you will and so he said well what you want to do you're going to sing and I'm a rap and I said no <laughs> and he said what you going to do rap and I said yes and um, I had to explain to him my history in, in hip hop. You know, I grew up in a home where my uncle was a DJ, um, probably one of the first DJs that I know of in the city of Houston, like from the late 70s. Okay. Um, he went by DJ Dr. Magic. That was his name. Carl yeah. Landry. Shout out to him. No relation to the basketball player, okay. but uh, <laughs> but he was a DJ and uh, he was my introduction to hip hop. Um, you know, he had records, he had CDs, he, he, he was doing it all and then later on in my life when I got to middle school being in those circles with my friends at, at dances and freestyling and all of that I realized that that was that was my way of being a part of the group so I would go home at night and I would listen to the radio I would tape songs off the radio make stop tapes and write songs to those those songs I didn't know anything about instrumentals like writing to an instrumental I didn't know anything about you know we didn't we didn't have a lot of what people today have like being able to download an instrumental off of the internet an mp3 like there was no such thing as that in, in when I was growing up in, in 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 middle school so I would just take the songs that I like off the radio and just write to those songs and then boom you know that's how I was doing it and I would rehearse them in my head and memorize them and go to the, to the school and spit what I memorized mm. and that's how it started for me got to high school doing a lot more singing because my mom came from a singing background being in church and then I was like well man girls like singers better so I'm gonna go over and do this thing <laughs> And then I got back into doing the rap thing with Tominique around 2006, 2007. Mm. And uh, fast forward 10 years and here we are. <laughs> vets, vets. Mm. And what I like about the, the music that you all create, the things that y'all are saying mm -hmm. are very potent. Like, Thank you. Like it's not just like fly by night hip hop that you hear all these people doing. Like it does, it has energy, it has fun, but you always getting a piece of something from every song. Where does that come from? Where where are you rooted as far as like the consciousness? I think that where it comes from mostly is we're both very well read. Mm. We're both very well um, uh, eclectic in our musical tastes. Like one of the things that really drew me to Tominique as far as his musical tastes is we had a conversation about how Tupac and Kurt Cobain, the lead singer and guitarist from Nirvana, were really saying the same thing just in different, different genres and to different audiences. Mm. And when you really study what their lyrical content was and their lyrical messages were, they're literally saying the same thing. They just look different and they were speaking to different people at different time periods. Like Kurt Cobain died in 94 uh, in Seattle and uh, Tupac passed away in 96 in Las Vegas. 
and, and, but if you really study their musical uh, presentation, it's literally the same thing. It's a it's a resistance to the establishment. Mm-hmm. It's an upliftment of 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 people who are on the bottom. It's a a rallying cry for those who are unheard. And so we just kind of took that, mixed a little bit of Public Enemy in, mixed a little bit of Rage Against the Machine in, and a and a little bit of like Beastie Boys with their energy that they brought to the stage, and and that's what you get where you get dirty and nasty. Mm. So the original Kurt Cobain is what you're talking about. The original was he, was he a white guy? Or what? Yeah, he was, he was a, a white, white guy. guy. Yeah. And uh, what type of music did he perform? So his musical genre is called grunge music, but he never described his music as grunge music. He always called it rock and roll. Um, he would even sometimes call it punk rock. But like he was a guy that um, grew up in Seattle. Um, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And he was just like, man, I just want to play music and I want to start a band. And he looked up, it was interesting because he looked up to um, artists like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and, you know, these black artists, right? Um, Which a lot of these musical artists do, but that's a whole other topic. Um, (laughs) but, but, But he looked up to him because he was like, man, like he is the personification of this thing that I am pursuing. Suing, and that is, you know, rock and roll in its purest form. Okay. Um, and and yeah, so so yeah, the original Kurt Cobain. That's who we, you know, kind of were like, man, like him and Tupac was saying the, the, the same thing, you know. So that's crazy. I would never make that connection because if, if even visually I wouldn't make that connection, and then genre wise I wouldn't because if we take now somebody, so who I'm not gonna say he's that, but. Let's say Kendrick is is trying to do the work that Tupac was was doing, mm-hmm. right? Who on the other side in this era do you think for the uh, you know that would be in Kirk Bang's position in this era? Is um, there anybody like that now? I think honestly, you have. Man, that that is a really good question, um, and I, and I've been so and to be honest, I've been so out of the loop when it comes to um, punk rock and heavy metal. Yeah. Like I was, I was really a student of it in high school and college, but when I got into the rap thing, you know, not to say that I stopped listening to those other genres because they definitely exist. But I think that you know, guys like Kurt Cobain come once every you know, like we talk about Jimmy Hendrix. Like my dad was a huge Jimmy Hendrix fan, yeah. and like guys. Guys like that come once in a millennium. Yeah. Guys like Prince come once yeah. in a millennium. You know, like it's not a thing of, oh, well, it's just somebody. So like Kurt Cobain, you know, he, he you know, passed away. So, I mean, that individual may not have come yet. And yeah, he might yeah. not come for Who knows? hundreds of years, you know. <laughs> no, for real. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, and, you know, and I, and I really, I think that. I think his spirit is around because if you look at hip hop, I think a lot of it is kind of like punk rock right now, especially the younger hip hop. Oh, that's what people are okay. labeling it I'm a, as. I'm gonna tell you, it's 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 sad to say, man. It's it's darker than that. It's darker than that. Um, there's a guy who uh, Uzi Vert. I'll use him as an example. You know, and not to diss the brother. You know what I'm saying? He's doing his thing, but he made a statement in an interview. He's like one of my favorite um, musical influencers is Gigi Allen. A lot of people don't know who Gigi Allen is. But when you study who he was, it was like, oh, my God, like, like, why are you associating yourself with this guy? Long story short, Gigi Allen felt that, quote, rock and roll. He called it rock and roll, but he said that his definition of rock and roll was this, being able to say what you want, do what you want, and not be reprimanded for it. This is a guy who would um, 
go on stage, he'd cut himself with blades, he'd like urinate on the crowd, he'd defecate on the stage, he would do a lot of horrible, horrific things, and um, he would always say on Halloween he he was going to kill himself at a show, he would never do it, but he would get his people rallied up like that. Um, The final day he died, he did a show, the show got, he performed like one song, a riot broke out, Um, the show got canceled, he's walking down the street, and this is all filmed. If you go on YouTube, you can actually type in the last days of Gigi Allen. Walking down the street, he goes to this house, he shoots up a bunch of heroin, he dies. He's at a party, he dies, he ODs. Nobody knows that he's dead because he's wearing a pair of shades, so they can't tell that he's gone. And they take pictures with this man, they're oh, man. posted up at this what? party, and they didn't find out until the next day he had passed. And so his request as a as a person who died, he said, well, when I die, don't do all that other normal stuff that people do at funerals. Just stick me in a coffin. Don't uh, embalm me. Don't do any of that stuff. Don't pray over me. Just stick me in a coffin. Put some Jack Daniels in my mouth. Put my favorite music on some headphones and press play. And that's it. If people want to come see me, whatever, I don't care. And that's literally what happened. And they filmed that, too. Oh, man. Yeah. And so when you have something like that that has such a dark, uh, demonic, diabolic uh, influence and an and a, and a impact on people, like people still listen to Gigi Allen's music to this day. And so it shocked me and it made me sad to hear a young black artist, hip hop artist, even though he doesn't call himself a rapper, he calls himself a rock star. Right. He says, my biggest influence is Gigi Allen. And then when you study it, it's like, oh, my God. Like, what's really it's going like on? trying to take uh, uh, hip-hop away from his black roots. Man. It's like they yeah. take, it's like a, it, it, not only just taking it away from the black roots, but reappropriating it into something totally different from what it was originally conceptualized to be. Like, it's not even, it, it's, it's. Not even our culture. Man, no, <laughs> not at all, man. Not at all, man. I mean, like, even when you study, like, early blues and early jazz, like, yeah, you had guys that was doing, you know, heroin and stuff like that. But I think a lot of that came from, not from the, the you know, like, I I was talking to Wazir about earlier, not from the, you know, when you read um, Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams, he talks about the matriarchal versus patriarchal society. And uh, I believe a lot of it comes from the, the, the patriarchal, that whole like rugged individualism and being in those ice ages <laughs> fighting for your survival and doing whatever and and then bringing that into the 21st century where you know this whole like do without wilt mentality like that's where i think it comes from and 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 yeah it's it's like you said it's it's a whole like changing of the guard from what the original music yeah. was and the original people that created it well, to this reappropriated we, thing. We're losing our yeah. soul. Well, let, 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 me, let me play uh, White Devil's Advocate, as Charlamagne always say. Because <laughs> uh, that rock, uh, a lot of art comes from trauma, right? A lot mm-hmm. of art comes from pain and stuff like that. Yeah. So on that side, what did you say Gigi Allen, he was cutting himself, doing all this stuff. Right. It seems like and even Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Yeah. But on the other end, on our end, Tupac was murdered by his own people. Sure. And a lot of our music is not a lot of like killing myself, I'm gonna cut myself, I'm gonna do this to myself. It's I'm gonna do this to my other self, better known as your brother. Word. Mm-hmm. 
And so is are, is that any better than like just because we saying I'm gonna kill my I'm gonna kill somebody that look like me? Or, is that better than they, them saying I'm gonna kill myself? Well, I think again, you know, um, I I don't think any of it is good, honestly. Um, you know, there's a there's there's a, a definition that I like to quote about justice, right? There's two there's two pieces. The first piece is making sure no one is being mistreated, and number two, making sure that the people who need the most help receive the most constructive help. So, the first part of that definition, making sure no one being is being mistreated, that includes yourself. So, you know, you shouldn't mistreat yourself. Right. And then more importantly, you shouldn't mistreat anybody else because they are a reflection of yourself. We are all uh, a part of the human family. And so if I commit harm against you, then I'm really harming myself. Right, does right. That, does that make sense? So we shouldn't do any of it. Like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do harm to anyone and we shouldn't harm ourselves. Like, those are both... Um, things that kind of conflict with what um, the the creator of us set forth for us to do. A lot of people describe business as warfare, right? Mm. So if we going off that, uh, uh, you know, what you're saying about mm -hmm. not hurting other people, right? How do people? How are you supposed to progress in business when it's so aggressive and, and it's so like? almost parasitic for a lot of people. When they think of business, it's like, mm -hmm. I got to go out here and get it any way possible. So how do you approach business that's not so... Well, you don't have to do that. I think that, you know, our ancestors have modeled this time and time again. Yeah. Um, when you when you talk to the old folks, like I like to say, you know, they tell you about how uh, they were seeing somebody over to Susie Sue's house with a with a you know a box of eggs and then well you bring these eggs over there they gonna give you a, a bag of sugar that's business mm. nobody got hurt nobody got harmed um, you know hey uh, they needed uh, you know when they was you know cutting on cutting the the cow you know killing you know slaughtering the cow and making sausage and doing all this stuff okay well you gonna bring this to brother Joe down there and some sausage he wanted some smoked sausage and he's gonna give you some corn. No, no harm was done to any person, you know. Yeah, the 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 cow was slaughtered and the and the and the corn got had to be plucked, but no human was harmed in that in that exchange. But I think that as time progressed, um, and again that whole rugged individualism concept, which did not originate with uh, African people, it, it it became less about the 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 exchange of goods and more about hoarding. And having more and wanting more. and what, It's like, man, dude, you're a billionaire. Yeah. Read, read. Right. <laughs> that whole, yeah, yeah, inseminated our people to the point where it's like, yeah, like you said, this whole, I got to get it how I live, hard. That's, that's, the, that's the answer to it. You got to get it how you live, how you living, hard. Mm. And, 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 and it should not be. It should not be. And so what we try to do is when we go to show, like, for example, uh, we did a show in New York a couple years ago during the summer. And though there weren't a lot of people there, we sold a lot of merchandise. How do we sell this merchandise? People came to us and said, hey, how much you charging for that shirt? Hey, we charging 20 bucks for it. Man, I only got 10. Okay, fine. Give it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like... You want this shirt, I'm not going to stop you from wanting it because at the end of the day, you're going to walk away and I'm going to walk away and no exchange happened. Yeah. How much How much you want to pay for it? 10 bucks? Okay, give me the 10 bucks. Here's your shirt. Boom. Yeah. 
So it's still not a loss. Because when I came here to New York, I didn't have that $10 you just gave me. That's what it is. And that's how we as a society, you know, should conduct ourselves, should strive to conduct itself when in regards to business. Yeah, because it's not always, because I know a lot of people get turned off by that when, when you go to black people and if it goes the other way. If, you, if you're if you selling it and they're like, look, man, I'm only going to give you $10. And it's like a different thing. And people are like, why black people always got to do But if we look at the, people call it the dominant society, when they want to pay taxes, they got friends who they doing deals with to <laughs> right. be like, don't charge me as much what? on these taxes because yeah. we friends and we building yeah. something right now. Well, that's, that's what Trump <laughs> doing right now yeah, with, with legislation. Hmm. They passing legislation to reduce the taxes on the rich. Hmm. And he's benefited. And his friends are benefited. Mm-hmm. But who's going to be hurt is the poor because the, he cutting services that address the needs of the poor. So, I mean, we're suffering because they're looking out for each other. Hmm. What we have to do is we have to uh, address our own needs, you know. So the the music got to speak to us, hmm. you know, to our community. And you, it, it, it originated with us, and if we want to keep it, uh, then we need to. It need to speak to our needs. And what's dope about hip-hop, because you talked about it getting away from us when we talked about, uh, I like Gigi, I'm going to have to look him up. Man. But we talked about him, and we talked about his influence on Uzi, and we talked about these different branches that hip-hop is going in. Yeah. What's cool about hip-hop, and I think that's why the genre is so, It's hip-hop is kind of the oldest, not the oldest genre, but in modern America since like, let's say since like the 1900s, whatever. Hip hop is kind of like the longest running genre right now, and it's dominant, and it's getting more dominant over the years. It's the most dominant, but I would say I would argue to say jazz. But I'm saying, how long was jazz the most popular genre? Right, right, right. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I'm saying it, it. It definitely is the most dominant, prevalent genre. Hip hop is rap music is right. that. And I think it's be, and I and I think what I'm saying is to because. I do know what you're saying about jazz, but I think it's because hip-hop has this thing of, like, that ain't hip-hop, or this ain't the real hip-hop, or who's the hottest, who's the top. It's like it's almost like a sport. Mm-hmm. So it keep, it has, like, checks and balances to where I don't think hip-hop will ever stray as far away from its, its origin to the point where it does what jazz did to where everybody's uh, white doing it. I, yeah, but I mean, oh, but, but time and time again, as history has proven, um... It, it it does. I mean, sadly, like, you know, Scarface, shout out to Scarface, he made a a, a video, an interview where he said, who stole the soul from hip hop? Mm. And he talks about that. He talks about how, man, like, you know, look at Cats and R&B. Like, black people cannot get recognized in R&B, which is a black created genre today. Like, you, like look at what happened at the Grammys. Just, just study the Grammys, what happened. Shout out to Bruno Mars. He's a dope artist. He does his thing. And he gave credit to the people who influenced him. But it's like, yo, like, look what happened. Look what happened to Kendrick for the Good Kid Mad City album. Okay? And Macklemore came and shoop, took that award right from under him. We all were rooting for Kendrick. We all knew it was supposed to be Kendrick. But what happened? He And then, and then what was cold about it was he... Had nerve enough to try to say, well, you know, I apologize, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, dude, like, uh, like, who's, it's who's, too late. who's picking the winners, though? Mm. Who's giving out the awards? Right. You know, who's controlling the 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 hip-hop 
Right. You know, is, is it the, the music industry, the executives, or uh, people outside our community that's co- controlling our music form? Word. Giving it back to us, perverted. Yeah. That's why we have to keep it genuine. I mean, we have to take control of it, take it back. Right. You know, and really, uh, those of us who are on the consumer end of it, we have to make that determination about what we consume, what Boom. we listen to, what we support with our dollars. You were talking about your dollars. Correct. We need to become not just conscious in our uh, music we listen to, uh, our fashion, hmm. but we need to be conscious in the way we Economics. Spend, our, spend our dollars and what we support because your, you, you spend your money where your heart is. Hmm. And if you buying if you buying this pseudo hip hop, <laughs> you know you part of the problem. That, you are the problem. You are, yeah, that's right. Because that's the only way that a system like capitalism can continue to exist. There has to be exchange of goods and services for currency. There, I mean, and and listen to the word currency. Currency is energy. Currency, money is energy. Right. It's what you devote. Like, here's, here's an interesting uh, dynamic that I've observed in life between melanated people versus the dominant society. Melanated people will give you all the time in the world. Oh, you want me to come volunteer for this? You want me to come do this? I'll set this up for you. I'll do this. But the moment you say something about, hey, I need some money, it's like, well, I'm already donating to this. I already got my, you know, uh, my fraternal organization. I already got my da 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 this, right? On the reverse side, the um, the dominant society, they'll give you all the money. You know, I, I you know, I, you know, my my day job, my Clark Kent. <laughs> I work for, I work for the state of Texas, and okay. so when I go downtown to go, you know, go to work, I'm looking, I'm observing, you know, and I see, you know, some of the brothers and sisters that are on the street that are destitute, they asking for money, panhandling, and you know, many of the dominant society people will go in their pocket, give them money, and not even think about it, keep moving, right? Mm-hmm. But time. They understand that time is the most valuable commodity that we have because it's the only thing you can't buy. And so to get somebody from the dominant society to donate their time, their energy, that currency to you, it's important. So I think that, like you said, what we as a people need to do by restructuring the way that we think about economics is not only be willing to part with our time, but also be more willing to part with our dollar and support. You can see people's faces and excitement switch as far as black people are concerned. Like if you're talking about protesting, yeah, we're going to protest because how much do it cost to protest? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, we're going to boycott this. That's not spending money. You know what I mean? Or we're going to do this. Everything that's not involved, say this, Oh, let's pool our resources and buy some land. Ah, Bruh. there they go trying to get in my pocket again. <laughs> see, you can't try. Right. But see, that all comes from, but see that, and when we were having this conversation prior to going to the podcast, we were talking about post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy, um, you know, she has a thesis on it, and many other people have talked about it as well, but I think she was one of the first ones to give it a name. And mm-hmm. so by her saying that this thing that is, you know, the, 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 the trauma that 
that we have experienced as a people is called post-traumatic slave disorder. And so when we came out from Massa's under the thumb of Massa, you know, that, that institution of slavery, right, that physical institution of slavery, we were never taught how to treat each other. We were never taught how to, I mean, yeah, you, you had the Reconstruction period and, and black people were, for the most part, doing well under that regime. And, you know, they were able to build schools. They were going to colleges. They were becoming a part of the government. But then right after that, like right after that brief period of Reconstruction, when, uh, dare I say, white supremacy became more prominent through Jim Crow, yeah. uh, the institution of the, uh, the founding of the Ku Klux Klan, the institution of certain um, uh, 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 laws regarding gun control and things of that sort, like, that's when it was like, oh, my God. Like, that's when we felt like, okay, well, uh, and then we started distrusting one another because certain ends were played against the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so it went right back around to this whole idea of well, don't trust him because he's in the house. Don't trust her. She's in the field. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Fast forwarding to this era of 21st century where, like you said, if you ask somebody, hey, let's pull our resources together. Hey, artists, let's come together and do a tour together of three or four states. It's going to cost $1,500 to get a van, to have hotels for everybody, and to feed, you know, have per diem for food and, 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 and stuff like that. Man, you know, man, I got my little grind. I got my team over here, man, and we finna do it. Fighting over crumbs, fighting over little minutia, insignificant things. But you, you, you mentioned it earlier when you talked about the individual, mm-hmm. the rugged individual. Right. The rugged individual is not our culture. Exactly. You know, it was more of a, a, a tribal, hmm. a community-based culture. That's right. You know, as, as we function as a group, mm-hmm. we talk about group economics. So, during Reconstruction, the Freedmen's Bureau, the blacks that was freed, then we set up schools, we set up banks and all this type of thing. And the, uh, the federal government set up a, a black bank for the blacks, free mm-hmm. blacks, the mm-hmm. Freedmen's Bank. Mm-hmm. But then the whites took all that back. They took the land back. They they shut the bank down, and they they robbed us. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. So what we were able to do collectively, even we built black towns. You know, they went and they they uh, like Black Wall Street. Man, they bombed it. <sighs> Literally know? bombed and, it. You know, and that wasn't the only city like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever we was able to acquire, they, they tried to destroy it, or they did destroy it. So we began to hold on with whatever crumbs we had individually <sighs> before they come and take it. Yeah. But really, that's that's existing as a slave. If we ever are going to be free, we have to unite. Yeah. We have to move as a group. We have to think in the interest of the group, mm-hmm. not the interest of the individual. Right. You see that in the in the the, the, the preacher that preach in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. You know, he builds a ghetto cathedral. <laughs> and the preacher looking pretty good. You know, he got the Cadillac car and the and then the rings and the diamonds or whatever, the wealth. Right. But the money is going to an individual mm-hmm. and the community is neglected. Right. The charity, the 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 it should go toward the sick. The elderly, mm-hmm. the poor, the homeless—that's what we should be doing with charitable uh, donations. Mm-hmm. 
but it's going to the to the leader mm-hmm. who lives a life of luxury. Right. And the masses of people in ignorance. Right. I think that a lot of that really, you know, um, coming out of coming out of um reconstruction and then, you know, you had a lot of black Movements that started to arise out of that, you know. Um, another conversation that <laughs> Wazir and I were having before the show regarding, um, you know, more science with, you know, uh, Prophet Noble Drali, um, and then you had the start of um, the Nation of Islam. Um, and, and, and Marcus Garvey, you want to uh, Marcus, yeah, the, definitely, uh, yeah. You and I, United Negro Improvement Association. Association, correct. And then the NAACP. They were set up by the Jews Correct. in order to counter right. what Marcus Garvey was doing. Correct. And they had a philosophy called non-economic liberalism. Mm-hmm. That's why the NAACP and the Urban League and these so-called uh, liberal organizations mm-hmm. does not have economic interests. Right. You know, they're not trying to get land for blacks. No. You know, they're they trying to get us to integrate our dollars with them. But we spend money with them and it empowers them. It don't empower us. Right. We begging for a job. Right. When we should when we should be saying, Hey, I don't want a piece of your pie. Teach me the recipe so I can right. go over here and bake my own pie. See my I I I'll say this real quick. Um my father was an entrepreneur. My mother was an entrepreneur. Both of them are deceased. And growing up, I looked at them and was like, man, my mom, you know, for the for a great part of my life and greater part of her life, she did not um, clock into no job. She was a cosmetologist. She did hair. Okay. Um, and I would see her get on the bus. I would sometimes ride with her to the shop. She have her booth. She do her, you know, do her hair and do things. Boom, boom, boom. My dad, he was a tax accountant for forty plus years. Had his own business, operated out of his garage. Right. And the IRS came to his house one day and said, "Congratulations, Mr. Fisher, you are the top uh, uh, tax accountant in the northeast part of Houston." Bigger than Hewitt, bigger than, was it Hewitt Packard? No, not, what's the name of it? Uh, Jackson Hewitt. Hewitt, Bigger than, big HR Block. Yeah, Yeah. I'm talking about, he was D1. Man, so um, you're from the northeast side of Houston? We never went over there. Oh, oh, I grew up in Fifth Ward. I grew up in Fifth Ward on Christmas Street, yeah. And uh, my partner, uh, Nancy, he grew up in the southwest side. So like, you know, Hillcroft and all that area, like that's that's all him, you know. Um, So from a historical black community. True indeed. And so, you know, it's interesting you brought up about, you know, the, the preacher or the minister. You know, my grandfather, my my maternal grandfather was a, a Baptist uh, pastor. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about him was he had a mentality of, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the hood. You know, you, the parishioners, are not even able to meet my minimum necessity. That's why I'm not asking you for a salary. Right. He, the, the original building that we were in was a house that he converted into a church, which he initially wanted to use as what he called the hungry kitchen. And he wanted to feed homeless and hungry. And we we were able to do that for a little while because we had two different buildings. But when money got tight, he was like, well, I'm going to do away with this church and I'm going to use the hungry kitchen location as our new church location, 3206 Liberty Road. So fast forward, um, we would still feed people 
Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, things like that. You know, even after church some days or before church some days. If you came by, he'd have a skillet out there, a man. plug into the wall, and he was the one cooking the eggs. Man, man that's a progressive was, church. Man. I mean, you know, and, and but see, his mentality was he recognized the needs of the community. Right. Nice. Food, clothing, shelter. We right. had a we had a storage in the back with clothes that he would buy from like thrift stores. Mm. His wife, my grandmother, would buy from thrift stores. Bring them to the shop. Hey, you need some clothes. Right. You need a suit to go do a job interview. Here, boom. He would see people. So if you look and see how many religious organizations we have, man, there wouldn't be any homeless people if the religious community hmm. fed, clothed, and housed the homeless. Which is why I can appreciate, which is why I can appreciate a organization like the Nation of Islam because they thought of those economic things first. They were like, look, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we worship, we worship God and, and this and the third, but Number food, one program. clothing, shelter, <laughs> yeah. food, clothing, shelter. That was the that was the thing. When you look at organizations like the Black Panthers, though they were not a religious organization, they thought of food, clothing, right. shelter, which is where they get the WIC program, right. which is where they get the free breakfast program, right. free lunch program. Head start. Head start. Head start. All that came from the Black, Black Panthers. Panthers, but then got reappropriated by the yeah. Dominant Society because yeah. they saw how good it was and was like, "Well, we're gonna take that and flip it." And well, you see, <laughs> if, if we provide for ourselves. Then we govern ourselves. Correct. We have an allegiance to one another. We're self-determined. But if someone else provides for us, you know, I, you know, if you want a pet, hmm. all you got to do is feed him. Ooh. You know, you're going to keep running back because now he's dependent. Hmm. Now, we we were independent as long as the Panthers were feeding the children lunch programs and, and uh, we were doing things on our own. Mm-hmm. But when the government took Head Start. Man. Now we we got to go to government, you know. Like when 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 we came out of slavery, mm-hmm. the church was the the biggest, strongest institution we had. It was the only institution we and had. That church was our school and our church. That's right. And our community center. That's correct. Everything was done. Our political as uh, activity, our economic activity, our ec- educational activity. Everything emanated from the church. Mm-hmm. But now we are confused. We relying on government, Mr. Trump. But Mr. Trump cutting everything. <laughs> he cutting health care. He cutting education. He cutting everything that affects us. You know. So they, now they cut my check. You know my yeah. my, 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 my uh, social security check. Wow. You know and I'm, I'm listening to the seniors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we we have no hope. You know, no hope. No hope in Trump. <laughs> So, but we forgot that we used to provide those things for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we had a slave master. There you go. So it's really just about trying to get back to, um, it's really trying to get us back to that original mindset. And it, and it still exists in certain pieces, right? You, you know, um, and it exists also within other cultures, which I believe got it from African, but that's a whole other concept. Like when you look at uh, Hispanic culture, with um, like there's the, man, and I wish Nancy was here because he could definitely explain it a little bit deeper. So like 
he worked he worked at a he worked at a, a a restaurant for a while. And what they used to do is they would put all their not all their money, but they would put a certain portion of their money into a pot, right? So everybody would put their money into this pot. And then they would draw. They would basically draw lots for it. So you, everybody had a number. So if your number, when your number came up, you got that knot. So let's say that knot was like fifteen hundred. Okay. So everybody put their money into this pot. It adds up to fifteen hundred. Your number came up. Boom. You had fifteen hundred dollars right then immediately to do whatever you needed to do. And then the next, the next time y'all would put money into it, it would go to somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And then eventually it come back to you. Same thing happens in Asian cultures. They do yeah. the same thing. They put their money into a pot yeah. and then they get one knot. Boom. That's why they're able to go and get a business. That's why they're yeah. able to go and get a house immediately without having to go to a governmental program. We are. We I are, never even uh, heard we, of that. We are our bank. Yeah. You see, and what happened when the people organized themselves from the tribe, uh, from the village to the tribe, and from the tribe to the city, mm-hmm. from the city to the state, and then the states united to a nation. Yes. Then you you able to do things on a more sophisticated level, but the principle remains the same. When you pay taxes... You taxing yourself. You putting money in that pot. You talk about right, and then from that pot, then you get your needs met. Mm-hmm. The problem is we put money in other people's pots. <laughs> <laughs> we not putting money in our own pot. And we have no number to to, yeah. to draw from. Yeah, That's yeah right. we, 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 our number never comes up ever. They just they Man. parasites. They are parasites. They sucking our blood or vampires. Mm-hmm. They sucking our blood. So. In order for us to be successful, and we talked about culture, the culture, your diet, your food is your culture, your fashion is your That's culture. Right. It, it, it should be tied your to language. the language that we speak. It should be tied to a people and that people's experience, mm-hmm. uh, life struggle. That's right. Uh, but ours is being uh, taken away from us. You know, who's speaking? What, what made those artists so good is that they spoke to our pain. Right. You know, even if you look at gospel music or blues, that was the the suffering that we were suffering during that 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 era. Yeah. You know, it grew out of slavery. It grew out of Jim Crow, and uh, on up to the day. You know, all of our uh, uh, expressions musically came from our experiences, mm-hmm. and it should be uh, a tool for activism. Activism. Yes. You know. And I and I question that. I question that. Uh, is it still that? Hmm. Because that's how hip hop started. Yeah. You know, don't push me because I'm close, close to, the, to edge. the edge. You know, they was talking about a system that was oppressing us. And even if I look back in NWA, they first song when they came out, it was showing them in the, like the cotton fields. Yeah. Express and, yourself. Yeah. Express yourself. Mm-hmm. And then some type of way. Instead of them fighting against the system, they start fighting against one another. You well, know, you, you let a Jew break up our crew, crew. And, then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we at each other's throat. So I, 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 I still question that today. Are we are we using hip hop as a tool for self destruction, or is it is it really speaking to our? our pain and our needs. I would say this. I think that, you know, and it's funny you brought that song up, uh, No Vaseline. That's, <laughs> and that's one, of, it's one of my wife and I's favorite diss records. And I, and I say diss record because I think that 
Ice Cube wasn't speaking from a place of anger. Yeah, he was angry, but I think he was speaking more so from a place of like betrayal, like right. and a place of like even like maybe like borderline sad. Like man, like like I can't believe like you would do like you let this dude who has no association with hip hop, the original culture vulture, come in right. and like swoop down and make something that we started great come in and just disassemble disassemble all of it um i think that yes music does have i, I have this theory about black music especially well, speaking to the point that you brought up earlier um and and uh say it loud i'm black and i'm proud james brown came out with that song then i think the next song these are songs that like propelled black people to get to the next space right so i think it was that one i think that it was um the message by uh furious five and and grandmaster flash i think it was um optimistic by uh sounds of blackness which is one of my fa probably my favorite song period um because every time I hear it, it immediately raises my, like it 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 raises my happiness level. I don't know, like it just like I can put that song on and just like it just it just does something. And then for the most recent, the most recent is um, uh, "We Gonna Be Alright" by Kendrick Lamar. Those songs propel black people to move forward. They're like the modern day Negro spirituals because you can listen to those songs. Like the Negro spirituals had the coded messages in them: "Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home." Yeah, those those hidden messages within them. Same thing with these songs. Like they speak to the people. Like fight the power. Like right. speaks to a certain people about a certain thing, and it gives you a call to action. One moment. We're going to call to action one real quick right now. We need to get to these sponsors who are making this great conversation possible right now. So we're going to go ahead and real quick, if you could do that, because we got to get back to him and uh, get him to close well, out well, the well, podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're going uh, to yeah. sponsorship real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nation Products. Yes. Nationproducts.com. Visit that web website, nationproducts.com, because Nation Products are literacy advocates, and they support business building blocks. And they... Build your library, your child's library. You know, we want our children to read from titles that we author, and they want to see uh, themselves in their education. So this is a book, Brick by Brick. It talks about uh, by Charles R. Smith, uh, the black slaves built the White House hmm. and built the Capitol, and many of us don't know that. There's other books uh, about nation products, Famous Blacks in America, which is a word search book. And I want to draw your attention to another book that we thought we had, we acquired it, Booker T. Washington and the Tuskegee uh, University. Blacks built Tuskegee University by entering the brick masonry trade. Mm -hmm. and, and blacks under Booker T. Washington leadership made bricks, entered into the brick masonry trade, and revolutionized the economy uh, in Alabama and built a university. And I think that's what we did after slavery. Mm -hmm. And Booker T. Washington was vilified as Uncle Tom. <laughs> we'll get into that later, but he did what we should do, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And the most unobliged mama said, do for self. Hmm. Economic independence and self-determination. Uh, now we can talk about, go, go visit nationproducts.com. 
Another thing is black media. Uh, public service announcement. <laughs> Support thefinalcall.com. Uh, you can get your digital copy at finalcalldigital.com. And uh, uh, this is black media that speaks for us. Because oftentimes uh, there may be propaganda and corporate sponsored media, and they have an agenda. Hmm. And it's not to our best interest because oftentimes we're vilified. Even if you look at the protest movement we talked about earlier, when the blacks protest, they're thugs. You know, they're violent. There's all this type of thing. But when the, when the, they win the Super Bowl and they go out and ride, then it's just, you know, as a party went awry. Hmm. You know, Philly. <laughs> yeah. They just, you know, they just party. But they create more damage uh, when they're when they're partying than we doing with peaceful protest. So it all depends on the the who's telling the story and uh, and how the story is told and who's vilified. So support black media. And before we end, the economic blueprint. Yes. The economic blueprint dot org. Minister Farrakhan launched that fund in order to acquire farmland. And we want to start with 200 million acres. You know, the children of Israel, according to the biblical story, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. After that time, they entered into the promised land. Not the promised sky, the promised land. In that promised land, they was able to build a kingdom. They was able to feed and clothe themselves. So until we get land, we're not free yet. And we're not self-determining because we're dependent on other people to uh, foster a our survival, food, clothing, and shelter, and employment, and education, and entertainment. <laughs> mm. So that's all I have now, and uh, support Wazil's music. Y'all go check out my music. You can listen to anything that I put out for you, uh, for our great listeners <laughs> on any streaming platform. Y'all know the streaming platforms. Just search my name, W-A-Z-E-E-R. And show love, because when y'all show love to me, y'all are feeding the podcast. When y'all support our sponsors, y'all are feeding the podcast, and we keep bringing y'all these episodes every week. We're on episode 39 right now. Right. And that's because of y'all, and and we, we ain't really getting nothing out of this except this connection with y'all. So y'all just keep supporting the podcast. And, and support our guests. And support our guests. Let's switch it over to you, Dirty. Where can <laughs> the people go support Dirty and Nasty and keep up with what y'all are doing? Super simple. You can go support us at www.dirtynosenasty.com. K-N-O-W-S, to, like to know. Dirtynosenasty.com. Uh, we are on SoundCloud. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Dirty Nose Nasty. Do you have any videos out? We do. YouTube.com slash Dirty Nose Nasty. Do you have any uh, albums out and the singles you want we to announce? We do. www.dirtynosenasty. <laughs> Our new album we just released is called Knowledge is Queen. And I actually have a gift for you. I think that I gave um, and one for your father. Um, I have... Um, some buttons that we made uh, to commemorate our album release. Uh, okay. We started a campaign about a year ago that for every right. person right. who signs okay. our email list would get a button. Um, one thing that I will say as a um, as a business person, you need to have access to your uh, your fan base. You need to have access to your consumers, right? So the way that we do it in our group, we call it metadata. So that metadata that you put 
possess. That is the name of the artist, I mean, the name of the consumer, the email address, their call signs on various social media platforms. If they have a profile on Spotify where you can follow them back, these are ways that you can connect with them and your net work is your net worth. So those individuals that you have in your in your hand, in your mailing list, when you approach people and you desire to do business with them and they see you as someone, they say, well, we want to do business with you. You know, what kind of reach do you have? You know, how many social how many social media followers do you have? Well, I have these, these, these. I have these email people. Da, 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 da. And then that way you use that as leverage when you're in com- conversation with them. So that way they can't play you. You know, they can't say, ah, well, we just going to give you the scraps. No, they have to come at you as a partner. They have to come at you as an equal. They have to come at you as a peer as opposed to someone who they're feeding scraps to like a pet, as you say. (laughs) This is the Business Building Blocks podcast. And what we like to do, we like to give our listeners blocks to build their dreams or build their business. Can you give our listeners one block that will make them successful? Business cards. Make business cards. Simple as having your name or your logo on the front and on the back, having your information to contact you. Because as my father said, communication is important. I can, I can, if I'm, if I am willing to deal with being exposed to the elements, I can deal with not having a house. I can deal with maybe going hungry for one or two days, but communication is vital. No man is an island. So you need to be able to communicate with people. And, and, um, this this in terms of artists as well. Everyone, artists. Artist. So artists need to take the the uh, the artists the art form serious enough, man, to make a business card because you are in business. Yes. And, and, yes. and what about the internet? I mean, because we have this um, the technology um, advanced. We have advanced mm-hmm. techno- technologically wise. Yes. And a lot of things could just be done. On uh, on our phones, right? You know, you just just search me. Yeah. So Google me. <laughs> Google me. Nancy Google. has a lyric. But it I, says, I, "Google I find, me, baby." <laughs> I find I find because I share y'all music when I when you know when I'm doing my work mm-hmm. and I have a client. Yes, sir. And uh, and I'm old school. Yes, sir. So I'm passing them out a card, a, a postcard, or something. Yes, sir. A CD, and uh, but if they're young. They just go right on their phone and they look up Wazir. Word. But the older person, they get the card and then they go look up Wazir. Oh, how is it spelled? You know? Yeah, but you know what, no. though? I, not to cut you off, sir, but I give cards to young people, too. You know why? Because my logo is so cold, it stamps in your mind. One comment that I stated to Wazir about his logo with the Thunderbolt on it, it's so, it's so dynamic. It stands out to where it's like, man, I've recognized that. It's like McDonald's, Burger King, uh, Nike, Adidas, all these, you know, they, they have a logo. Even, I would even venture to say, you know, even though it's your flag, the Nation of Islam has the flag with the star and the crescent. I don't even have to put the words Nation of Islam on it because I don't even put NOI on it. I know Boom, boom, boom. That's what it is. Okay. Well, we're giving the sign. That's it. Well, that was an amazing interview. I'm sure our, <laughs> our listeners, we may have to have him back another time. Are there any, uh, before before we close this out, do you have any announcements? like to mention Savior's Day. You know, we're in the Nation of Islam. Our annual convention is in February. The crowning event of the Black History Month. The uh, Savior's Day convention is from the 23rd 
to the 25th. Mm-hmm. That's a, a Friday through Sunday. Um, we'll be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The McCormick Place is the, um, I think it's one of the centers. But the, also on that Friday, the 23rd, there will be Hip Hop Detox. Hmm. The big hip hop show uh, for these conscious hip hop artists and, uh, and others. You, you want to speak? I think Wazir may be in, in. I will be performing there Friday night, Hip Hop, uh, the Hip Hop Detox event. I I don't have the uh, the exact location right now off the top of my head, but follow me on Instagram at w a z e e r underscore, and I will be posting all the locations on where to get it. Also, look on Facebook, search Hip Hop Detox, and you will find where to buy the tickets on their Facebook page. Hmm. So just yeah, go yeah. search that. And you can find us also on on Facebook, Business Building Block. We're gonna post a link. That's at the Harold Washington Cultural Center in Chicago. That uh, at 8 p.m. February. I think it's 7 p.m., but 7 yeah. PM. But also on that Sunday, the 25th, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan will be addressing the nation and the world at the historic Savers Day Convention. Word up. One more thing before we dip. The same day, ironically, in Houston, Dirty and Nasty will be throwing a uh, party to the people at the iHeart Third Ward House over in the Project Row Houses. It's going to be uh, speaking on the topic of anti-gentrification. It's a free party, free music, free food. It's a family event during the day, 2 to 6 p.m., and uh, it's going to be awesome. All the food's donated. Um, All the the music is going to be live. We're not going to be performing, but we're going to be dispensing information because one thing that we find important is the music is dope, but we got to give a message with it, too. All right. So this has been the Business Building Blocks podcast. Thank you, Dirty, for coming through. <laughs> Man, peace, peace, peace. Yes, sir. This is the Business Builder Box Podcast. You have the blocks. <laughs> <laughs>